Good, good, good. First John chapter 2, verses 15, 16, and 17 tonight. A very familiar passage of Scripture, but one that I'd like to maybe look at, maybe in somewhat of a different light than maybe you've looked at it before. John is writing to us about the importance and really necessity of fellowship in our lives. Fellowship with God and fellowship with one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. And he's been telling us, you know, lately he's been encouraging us that God has given us, you know, all the resources we need to maintain that fellowship and to really thrive in that fellowship. But tonight he really boils it down and reminds us that fellowship is really a matter of the heart. And it really is understanding what love is all about. You know, as Christians, we talk a lot about love. But I think John here is reminding us of some very important truths uh, connected with the concept and activity of loving. And so notice what John writes, and I'm going to read all three of these verses and then share what God has laid on my heart tonight with you. John, at this point, now says this. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Because all that is in the world, the desire of the flesh and the desire of the eyes and the arrogance produced by material possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away with all its desires, but the person who does the will of God remains forever. John is talking to us here about fellowship. And he's saying to us that really it comes down to a matter of our heart. God wants our heart more than anything else. And God knows that obviously as our Creator, that our heart drives everything. Our heart is not that physical organ that pumps blood throughout our body. In the Bible, it refers to sort of the the center or seat of of our emotions and our will. It's where our passions and our desires and and all of that comes from. Which is why the Bible tells us to make sure that we take care of our heart and and sort of guard our heart because out of our heart is all the issues of life. Everything springs from the condition of our heart. And that really then talks about love. So first of all, when John tells us, do not love the world, and obviously he's speaking for God here, we need to remind ourselves that if God is prohibiting something, It is always for our best. It is always for our own good, for our highest good. God is not a killjoy. God is not seeking to deprive us of something and to sap, you know, the true joy and fulfillment of life out of us by telling us not to do certain things. In fact, it's just the opposite. God says, I can tell you as your creator and obviously as your Savior, how you can enjoy life at its fullest, how you can get the most out of life, how you can thrive at life. And so I'm telling you, don't love the world. 
Now we know back in the book of Genesis that God told Adam and Eve, you can do all these things and you can partake of all the fruits of all these trees, but that one, don't do it. And, you know, again, it wasn't that God was trying to deprive Adam and Eve of, of real life. He was actually doing it for their own good. And it was only when they disobeyed and rebelled against God that obviously life took a turn. And it wasn't a good turn. So when John starts out with, do not, again, a message from God, it's just a reminder to us that the things that God encourages us to do is because He wants us to enjoy life to the fullest. The things that God says not to do are things that He only knows are going to prevent us and prohibit us from truly thriving in life and enjoying fellowship with Him and fellowship with one another. And he says, do not love the world. Now let's break this down tonight because this is really important. Let's start with the word love. One of the basis of this word love in the Bible is to prefer. Keep that in mind. To love is to prefer one thing over another thing. It is a reminder to us that in the Bible, love is a discriminating affection that always involves choices and selections. Let me repeat that. Love is a discriminating affection that always involves choices and selections. If I say, I love you, God, then that means that I'm automatically going to have to say no to other things. Because my love for God, if I truly love Him, is going to stop me from choosing and selecting to do certain things in my life out of my love for God. Same thing is true in our earthly relationships. If I say I love somebody, you see, that's a discriminating affection. And every decision and choice and selection that I make in life then should obviously be based on my love for them. How can I say I love somebody if I'm choosing to do something that hurts them? See, so it, it affects the, every choice, every decision, everything that I select to do in my life is really uh, driven by our love. It's why biblical love is an expression of real care and consideration. Every choice that I make, I realize I have to consider how does that affect something or someone else. Again, let me go back to God. If you and I say, I love God, and we're getting ready to make a choice, then as a follower of Jesus Christ who says we love God, then one of the things that should flow through our minds and hearts is, if I make this choice, if I select to do this, how does that affect God? If I say I love someone else, I love a human being, I love my brothers and sisters in Christ, and yet I'm getting ready to make a choice and selection that negatively affects them then love would say, no, I can't do that. I, I can't make that choice, you see. So that's why love deals with to prefer. 
It is always choosing one thing over Even though we live in a world today where people think I can have it all if I just, you know, am a good multitasker and balance everything out, people who say that really have no understanding of love from a biblical standpoint. Because in the Bible, love is taught as something that is a discriminating affection that always involves choices and selections. And I can't say I love this thing or that one and not then have to say no to certain things. It has to be one or the other. See, so that's why John is saying love for God and love for the world. And we're going to talk about what that means. But love for God and love for the world are mutually exclusive. I can't say, I love you, God, and then also, I'm preferring the world and what the world offers. It, it, it doesn't fit. Any more than, you know, I could say, I love my wife, and yet choose to do something that hurts her. Or, I love you as a brother or sister in Christ, and yet the choice that I make negatively affects you. See, all of us have to, if we say we are loving then the choices that we make have to always consider how it falls out and affects those around me. That's why I try to get Christians to see that, you know, if we truly love each other, then there's going to be certain things we as Christians choose to do and choose not to do, not only because we love God, but because we love each other. There's going to be certain things I say no to and certain things I say yes to, out of my love. Because love is a discriminating affection that involves choice and selection. Every day, you and I are confronted with this because every day that you and I live life, we are confronted with certain choices and decisions. And those choices and decisions, whether we realize it or not or are always conscious of it or not, they are really manifesting our love. Who we love. Or what we love. Because the things that we're say, always saying yes to are going to be the things that we truly prefer, if you will. And the things that we're always saying no to are the things that we don't love very much. Because we can't seem to find the time or the energy to do those things. But we can always find time and make time for the things that are really important to us, the things that we love, you see. So that's a really important principle here when John talks about the word love. And then he says, do not love the world. Now let's talk about, first of all, what he's not meaning here. He's not talking about God's creation. It's a beautiful earth. It's a beautiful world. And God wants us to enjoy His creation. Even though it is marred, you know, and it's under a curse, it's still beautiful, and it's still, uh, we still have the ability, even in that, to be able to enjoy it and to get out to nature and all of that. So that's not what He's talking about. And He's not talking about people. In fact, that would contradict John 3, 16, where the Bible says, God so loved the world. And in that context, he's talking about the inhabitants of the world, people. God loves people. And he wants us to love people. 
When John says here, do not love the world, he is referring to a system of values, priorities, and beliefs that exclude God and rival God. It is sort of this uh, invisible, say, philosophy or system behind the way the majority of the world operates. And that's what John's talking about here. It is a seductive spiritual system designed by Satan to draw us away from God. Because again, if the world and what it offers can somehow draw me away from God and draw me away from fellowship with God, then that's not a good thing. Because ultimately... You know, the ultimate life is to, to be with God and to be in close connection with God and to be in fellowship with God. That's where our joy comes from. That's where our peace comes from. That's where our assurance comes from and our security and all these things. All these wonderful things comes out of our close connection and fellowship with God. Yet the world is a very strong magnet that can draw us away from God. And God, because of the way He created the universe and those of us who live on this planet, He created us with a free will and a free choice. He never wanted to create human beings who were made to have to love Him. To where we didn't have a choice. Because what sort of reward, what, what joy would there be, even from God's perspective, in creating a race of human beings that had to love Him? And did everything that he wanted them to do because they had to. But when he gives us, even as human beings, a choice. And we choose to love God over other things. Then obviously, that, that brings even joy to the heart of God. Because God understands, you and I didn't have to make that choice. We could have chosen to prefer the world and what the world offers, but especially John here talking to Christians is saying, if we want to stay in fellowship with God and we want to enjoy God, we've got to fall in love with God more than anything else. We've got to prefer God more than anyone or anything else because there are these things in the world that are going to constantly seek to rival God exclude God, and draw us away from God. And that's what the world refers to here. Again, a spiritual, seductive system that sort of is always there in the world that really drives many of the choices and decisions that people make. I say that because the majority of people on planet Earth look at life this way. This is all there is. And therefore, because this life is all there is, man, I'm going to get everything out of this life that this world can give to me. That's the way the majority of people on planet Earth live their life. They're not living for the life to come. Many of them don't even believe in a life to come. And if they do, they don't have any assurance of it. And they've got a warped view of it. And and all of those things then fall into why the world becomes very attractive to them because they don't have much hope for the world to come and even what that world offers them. 
But a follower of God does. We look at eternity much differently. Notice he goes on to say, Do not love the world or the things in the world. The things that are of earthly origin and nature that seduce us from God and become spiritual obstacles in our life. Obstacles that again prevent fellowship with God. Because notice what John goes on to say in verse 15. If we do love the world, if we prefer the world, if we choose the world, because that's where our heart is, over God, then notice what he says at the end of verse 15. Then the love of the Father is not in him. It would be maybe even better to translate it, the love for the Father is not in him. He's not talking about God's love for us here. He's talking about our love for God, something we just sang about. The love here speaks of our affection that we just sung about. Our esteem. In fact, this word, this word even speaks of contentedness. Think about that. You ever think about love in that context? That love is really a lot about contentedness? If I love God, and I'm then meaning I'm content with Him, then I don't look outside of God for anything to fulfill me or satisfy me. In my relationships, let me use marriage. If I love my wife, meaning I'm content with her and our love and our marriage, then I don't look outside of that to be fulfilled or satisfied. See, that love and contentedness go hand in hand. When a person is discontent, then they're always looking outside of what they already have to find some kind of fulfillment or satisfaction. And God is saying to us, don't go down that road of loving the world. Because what he's going to go on to say is one of the reasons why I'm telling you not to do this is because no matter how hard you go after the things that the world offers you, the world and what it offers you can never fulfill or satisfy you. I am the only one that can fulfill and satisfy you. That's why I'm telling you not to love the world. That's why I'm telling you, love me. Give your heart to me and you will find a fulfillment and a satisfaction and an abundance and a contentedness that you could never find in anything or anyone else. And again, then that principle of contentedness goes down to all of our other relationships. If I love my brothers and sisters in Christ, then I'm, looking, I'm not looking outside of them for you know, another group. I'm content. I'm not looking outside. I'm not going beyond. There's a contentedness there. And so he's simply saying, if we love or choose or prefer the world over God, then we really don't love the Father. And remember too, that the Bible teaches that love sort of reflects a controlling influence in my life. Going back to discriminating affection, a definition of love. If I love someone or something, it's going to have a controlling influence on the choices, selections, and decisions that I make in my life. If I love you, and yet I'm getting ready to choose to do something that's going to hurt you, 
then love would say, nope, not going to do that. Because I'm going to be careful. I'm going to be cautious. I'm going to be considerate. And that love for you and for others is going to be a controlling influence in my life that's either going to encourage me to do certain things and say yes to certain things and prohibit me from doing certain things and saying no. Let me give you a biblical example. Back to the book of Genesis. When Potiphar's wife was pressing Joseph to sleep with her, Joseph ran and basically said, no. Why? Because he loved God. And he did not want to make that choice to sleep with that woman who was not his wife because of his love for God. It was a controlling influence in his life. It was a discriminating affection. Jo- Joseph, in a sense, was saying, God, because I love you, i got to say no to her. And that's what love is. Love is always about saying yes to certain things because I love and saying no to other things because I love. And, and the decisions and choices and selections that you and I make every day reflect our love. Who are we loving or what are we loving? It will be found in our choices and decisions. Because again, what we really love will make time and, and, and uh, make sure that those things get chosen. The things that aren't as important to us that we really don't love will be things that somehow get to the bottom. And that's why this is really the core of what fellowship is all about. It's really just simply going back and examining our hearts and saying, do I love God? Do I really love God? And isn't that why God says in His Word that the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all your strength? Because if I truly love God that way, then everything else in my life will fall into the place it should because I put God first where He belongs. It's it's exactly the same principle of why Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and then all those other things, they'll find their way into your life in their proper place. The problem is, if you and I, even as Christians are not loving God the way we should, then other things begin to creep into our life from the world and what the world offers us that begins to rival and exclude God. And even rival and exclude our family, rival and exclude our brothers and sisters in Christ, and pretty soon, it's either maybe all about us or something else that has consumed us and captured our imaginations and our attention. In fact, that's why John even uses the word if in verse 15. If anyone loves the world. Because there is the distinct possibility that a Christian, and we're going to see this a little bit later, can choose to love the world over God. And we're going to give you a biblical example of that. Then notice in verse 16, he begins to sort of tell us how this love for the world is sort of specifically, if you will, manifested, to give us a little bit more of an idea of how this is, plays out. He says, all that is in the world, 
the desire of the flesh, the longings and cravings of the flesh. And simply the flesh is a description of human nature independent of God. It's saying, God, I got this. I don't need you. That's the flesh. The flesh always wants to operate independently of God. Then he says, there's also the desire of the eyes, the longing and cravings of of the eyes. And simply what he's talking about here is is when the eyes get excited to see something that again captures its, its attention and its imagination and the mind. And he's not talking about good things here. He's talking about things that are not pleasing to God. And then he says the arrogance produced by material possessions. I prefer actually another translation of that. Some translations use the phrase the pride of life. The Greek word speaks of showmanship and self-confidence. In other words, it's the kind of person who wants to flaunt who they are, or what they have. Almost as a way even to incite jealousy and envy in other people. Like, I'm proud of of what I have achieved, and, and I want to let everyone know who I am and what I have. And though it, you know, we may not admit it, what that reduces to is we really want other people to be envious and jealous of us. Because look at what we've done. And look at what we have. And the Bible says that these sort of three legs of love of the world is not from the Father, verse 16, but is from the world. Now another way I'd like to look at this tonight that I think might simplify it a little bit is this way. The desire of the flesh, I like to define as doing something apart from the will of God. That's what the desire of the flesh is. Doing something apart from the will of God. Then, the lust of the eyes or the desire of the eyes is having something apart from the will of God. Again, it's not that God doesn't want us to have things, but not everything that we set our eyes on or not everything that our eyes see are things that we should have. They're not good for us. They're not constructive. They're not productive. They're not spiritually healthy. They are actually just the opposite. So I have to make sure that the things that I do have and the things that I do go out and purchase and possess are things that God wants me to have and things that are spiritually beneficial and profitable for me. Because the desire of the eyes is having things that are out of the will of God. And then the pride of life, or the arrogance that he talks about here in verse 16, is being something apart from the will of God. Now, God has a purpose and plan for each of us. And God wants us to be something. But this is going beyond what God's plan and purpose for our lives is, and being something that God doesn't want us to be. So that, again, we can show others how great we are and what we have accomplished and what we have done. And John is saying, that's that's not of the Father. That's that worldly system philosophy that, again, permeates our world. And you and I know it because as as I studied this, 
I mean, it doesn't take long to look at the majority of people in the world and go, yeah, that's, that's, that's what the world's about. They're about doing things that doesn't matter what God said or thinks. It's about having things and they don't consult God or pray about it or anything. They just, if they, they have it or, or they want it, they get it. Regardless. And they certainly don't care about being whatever they want to be, regardless of what God says or God's will is, because it's all about them. That's, that's that very seductive, selfish system that is sort of designed and energized by Satan, the God of this world, that again permeates everything on this planet and even affects us as Christians and something that we have to be careful about. That's why John even saying to Christians, don't love the world because there's the choice for us every day. Every day, even as a Christian, I can choose to prefer what the world offers me instead of what God offers me. Somehow thinking that what the world offers me is better than what God offers me. Somehow I'll be more fulfilled and satisfied with what the world gives me than what God has given me. And God is saying, no, child, no, no, no. Because listen to this last verse. This is why God says, give your heart to me. Love me. Put me first in your life. Because in me you'll have everything you ever wanted or needed. Because the world is passing away. It's departing. It's disappearing. And by the way, I want to make this point. The the Greek word for world is cosmos. And we get an English word from that word cosmos. And you ladies would even be more familiar with this than we men. It's the word cosmetic. And when you think about how that applies to the passing away of the world... We all know that a couple things, even for a man, comes to mind when I think of cosmetic. I think of surface. I think of, you know, superficial. I think of covering. But not something that lasts. Something that's got to be, you know, applied over and over again. And it's just, because it's just on the surface, it, it's not something that lasts. Well, that's the concept here. He said, do you realize that everything that you and I look around and see in this world is pretty cosmetic? It's just surfacey, it's superficial, it it covers over what's really important. Because none of this stuff is going to last. And that's why God says, so don't invest in that. That's why Jesus said, lay up treasure in heaven, not treasure on the earth, because the world is passing away. With its desires, notice John says, all their longings and cravings are going to go unfulfilled. That's the sad thing. As as so many people go after the things that the world offers, the sad thing is, all those things will never bring lasting fulfillment and satisfaction to them. They just have to keep reinventing and going after different things because they keep thinking that the next thing is going to be the thing that makes me feel good about myself and and makes me feel whole and, and gives me purpose in life. And in the world, they will not find it. It's only in a relationship and fellowship with God that it can be found. But notice the contrast. John ends this great passage by saying, but the person who does the will of God remains forever. 
The person who focuses their occupation in life on preferring the choices of God. Choosing what God chooses. That's really what it's all about. It's getting to a place in life where we say to God, God, if that's what you choose for me, then I'm good with it. I choose that too. Because I know that whatever you choose for me, that's the best. That's the best choice. It is always preferring the choices of God. That's doing the will of God. And notice John says, that person, they last. Because the things that they have done even on this world that is passing away aren't earthly things. They're not of earthly origin or nature. They're eternal things that will last. Martin Luther once famously said, the things that I keep in my hand, I will lose forever. The things I place in the hands of God will remain forever. I love that. That's a beautiful picture of what John is talking about here. Now, some of you may say, well, I mean, I understand where John's coming from, but can a Christian, I mean, a, a strong believer who, who's been grounded in the Word of God and who's serving God and even who has really, you know, spiritual companions around them, could they ever get to a place in their life where they choose to love the world over God? Yeah. Let me give you two examples. One we're going to turn to. Remember in the book of Revelation, when Jesus is talking to the church at Ephesus, he says to them, you have left your first what? Love. As a church, you have left your first love. And then I want you to turn, in closing tonight, to 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. I want to show you an example today from the Bible of a man who was a strong Christian, who had been grounded in the Word of God, who had served God for many years, and who had as his companion in life the Apostle Paul. And you can't get much better than that, right? And yet notice what Paul says about a man named Demas in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 10. He says to Timothy in verse 9, Make every effort to come to me soon, for Demas deserted me, since, notice, he loved the present age, and he went to Thessalonica. This is an example of a Christian who even after being grounded in the Word and serving God with Paul, chose the world preferred what the world offered over what God offered. And so it is a very strong warning and reminder to us that this pull of the world, this seductive system that exists through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is very strong. Now, again, As John said last week, God has given us what we need to be able to say no to the world and yes to God. But it's not easy. Because the world and this system that John has been describing here is constantly pressuring us 
trying to seduce us and draw us away from God and say, hey, this stuff over here is better than giving your life to God and serving Him and serving others and living for God. Do, do this. This will fulfill you. This will satisfy you. This will make you happy. And Christians, many are seduced by the system of the world and end up preferring and choosing the things of the world over the things of God. And it comes back to what John said. Really, when it's all said and done, for all of us, it's a matter of where's our heart? Does our heart truly love God? Do we prefer God above anyone or anything else? Is He our first love? And does our choices and our selections in life manifest that? And then let's take it one step further before we close. John, and and he's going to continue to be big on this. John talks to us about how important it is that we love our brothers and sisters in Christ. That that is the distinguishing mark of followers of Jesus Christ. Then how does our choices and decisions as believers in Jesus Christ, how are we manifesting our love for our brothers and sisters by the things that we choose to say yes to and the things that we choose to say no to? Because I'll close again with this. Love is a discriminating affection that always involves choices and selection. And those choices and selections we are faced with every day. And they really manifest who or what we love. Let's pray. God, thank you for loving us And for again reminding us, God, that there is no greater love that we could ever have or ever experience than your love for us. And yet, God, so many human beings reject the greatest love that they will ever know or ever experience for things that are less. Because somehow it looks good. And it is seductive. It's It's like that bait on the end of a hook for that fish. And yet it never pans out. It it never turns out good when we take that bait. God, help us to be and learn to be content in You. Help us to have our hearts just fully engrossed and in love with You and with the things that You choose for us, God. Not the things that the world offers us. Because as John reminds us tonight, one day this world and all that it has ever offered is going to pass away. It's going to disappear. But Lord, those of us who choose You and choose to do Your will, we will remain forever. Those things are eternal things. So God, help us to make the right choices. Help us, God, to choose what is best. These things we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
Guys, thanks for being here. We love you. See you next week.